0: Hi, everyone. I'm Akreshi Gupta chima your host for the New Books Network. Today, we are in conversation with Dr. Masood Ashraf Raja, who will discuss his book, Democratic Criticism, verdicts of Incitement, and the Muslim Sacred, which was published by Lever Press in 2023. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Raja. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, could you please introduce yourself
1: and your work to the audience? Okay, thank you. So I am a former... Uh, Associate Professor of Postcolonial Studies. Until last year, I was at University of North Texas. And uh, since last August, I am no longer associated with with any university. And my training is in in postcolonial studies. And I got my PhD from Florida State and uh, Democratic Criticism was my fourth monograph.
0: Thank you. So tell us a little bit about the genesis of this work. How did you start working on it?
1: Well, uh, it was probably this book was the one that took me the longest to write and longest time to publish. So the project, like somewhat, I started thinking about it back in, I would say 2012, when I started thinking about writing a book that would deal with these two extremes that we usually think are mutually exclusive, freedom of expression and the reader's right to receive a text a certain way. And uh, so as a kind of a salvo before the book, I published an article in 2013 in South Asia Journal of South Asian Studies, which explored it somewhat. And then beyond that, then I uh, then finished the manuscript by about, I would say, 2018. And after that, it was all the time that it took to you know get it published. Thank you. So how would you describe this book to the audience? Well, it's a difficult book, not in terms of its vocabulary or language, but uh, because it deals with two secrets, right? It deals with freedom of expression and freedom of speech, uh, which is, you know, almost a sacred principle, at least here in United States and in the West. And then it deals with a general sense of what constitutes on the abstract level the sacred for most practicing Muslims. And so what I'm trying to tease out using the Rushdie affair as as the originary moment in so many ways and what ensues after the publication of the Satanic Verses in my research and reading, and even when the book came out, what was going on, There were two distinct responses, one generally from the Western Academy and the Western press, which kind of positioned their argument in this sense that, well, you know, we live in the 20th century. This is what we do. Live with it. Why are you angry about it? Why are you burning books? And and there was a sort of a very uh, sort of a Patronizing disdain that was directed at Muslims in Bradford or anywhere else who were angry and all. And so I was trying to trace where does that come from. And then as I started doing my research, I realized that there was no accounting for why, what is it in the book that could hurt someone who practices the religion? And why was it hurtful? There, there was no deep research into that other than probably a response written by Edward Said. So what I was trying to suggest, and that was within the context of English studies, is that if we are going to teach literatures that use raw materials from the Muslim world, we need to train our students not just to reduce those texts with the framework and modes of thinking that are taught here in the Western Academy, but with a deeper understanding of okay, if a part of this text is offensive to Muslims, why is it offensive? And and what causes the pain, anguish, and anger? Because without that understanding, uh, as a humanist, I believe that we are not really giving a a good humanistic education to our students.
0: So what is Poetics of Incitement, and what is its relationship with the Muslim sacred?
1: Okay, so the way I define it is that it's it's a mode of writing that kind of develops. It existed in incipient forms before that. Islam was always used. I mean, I can give you examples of popular books where things are said about the Prophet or the Holy Kaaba or whatever you want to call it, but it's a book that goes not to you know, challenge the basic assumptions of Islam. But even when the responses to satanic verses weren't that you, you know, you have blasphemed against God. No, no one cares, you know, if you say anything about God. It was at the core of it was certain ways in which Muslims view the figure of the Prophet, right? His personal identity or historical identity and the people of his household. So the Muslim sacred in this sense isn't necessarily the sacred that would be, okay, pray to God and go perform your hajj, but rather how socially Muslims think as to what is it that is permissible to be said about the Prophet or his household or members of his close groups, how it ought to be said. And there is a decorum, there is a way of saying it, right? There are language rules and prestige rules that people follow, at least in public. So the way I define it is any work of literature that either knowingly, mostly it's intentional, plays with those very things that the author knows or the writer knows. These are the things where if I touch them, you know, I will get a response. I will get anger. I will... Just kind of goading people into a response by touching knowingly what you think is is the deepest core of their belief system, at least the social understanding of that belief. So that's what I consider the Poetics of Incitement. Let me pull out the book. I think it's on my shelf.
0: Okay. So um, you talk about democratic criticism in the book. So what is democratic criticism and how do you define a democratic reader?
1: Well, the term itself, of course, I'm borrowing from Saeed's last book, you know, on, on humanism and democratic criticism. So the way I'm defining is, so I had to theorize a reader in order to, you know, argue my point. So a democratic act of criticism would be a sort of criticism that, that works both in immanent way, but also in a transcendent way. Immanent that you always write from where you are. Your lived experiences define who you are, what your worldview is, how you're going to articulate it, what your politics is, your gender, everything. But a democratic mode of criticism would also in Incorporate within its project of criticism, if not in a deep understanding of the other about whom you are talking, but at least a cursory understanding of what is the meaning process, meaning-making process of the people about whom you are writing. So let's say if you're writing about Pakistan, if you're writing about Muslims in Pakistan, of certain sect of Pakistan, a democratic mode of writing would be to first understand. Why is it that this particular group of Muslims in Pakistan thinks about this subject like this? And then being aware of that, otherwise all we are doing is we are reducing complex cultural phenomena to the matrix or what you know what uh, is called pre-understandings, right? Um, so a democratic reader doesn't reduce the text or or textual representation simply from their formulated perspective, but incorporates in it the perceptions, the modes of readings, and the meaning-making processes of the so-called other. Thank you.
0: In the book, you also note that the problem of reading poetics of incitement falls under the registers of recognition and redistribution. Could you elaborate that, please?
1: Well, uh, and that wasn't just about poetics of incitement. It was about how we read responses from the Muslim world. So when people here are trying to explain ISIS or explain the Taliban or someone who, you know, goes and kills someone, assuming the, the reading is materialistic, you know, and that is. It's done under the materialistic register, a redistributive register. People are poor. They don't have access to good education, good way of life. It's easier to incorporate them in a radical right-wing project. But my reading of ISIS in my previous book and in this was that most of these groups or ways of thinking are not mobilized on redistribution but rather on recognition, which is identity, right? So the two major theorists that I talk about, I think, in the book is Nancy Fraser and Axel Honneth, right? So Fraser is the theorist and philosopher of redistribution. Axel Honneth talks about recognition as the primary need of all human beings. So if we look at the recognitional register, then it's easier to understand why a certain Muslim human subject would respond a certain way to a text that they see as an affront or as an attack. That response comes from a lack of recognition of their complex identity, right? A denial of that identity. And the psychological research, like starting from Eric Erickson in the 70s, ha- has Suggested, I wouldn't use the word proven, that when someone's identity is denied or foreclosed, then they either do self-harm, they turn on themselves, or they become more aggressive and, 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 and take it out in other forms of aggression. So my point in that chapter was to encourage people also to read these responses also from an identitarian point of view. What is the trauma caused by a text that you or me might see as transgressive or threatening? Because if we acknowledge that, then we can do the work of culture, which helps people develop expansive identities. But if we totally foreclose that, then all we have to work with is, okay, give them more aid and make an American center somewhere in a university and that will remedy this problem. So that's what I was trying to highlight in that chapter.
0: The last chapter in the book is particularly addressed to the Muslim reader with an invitation for them to read your thoughts of Muhammad Iqbal and Abu Allah Maldudi. Would you speak about their ideas and what is it about them that makes them critical for the Muslim reader?
1: So, yeah, if you read that chapter, I think... I struggled with that chapter because it starts with a harrowing account, right? It starts with the murder of Mashal Khan, right? A university student who was killed by his own peers while the teachers and others stood watching on the university campus, I found it troubling because how do people become like that, right? My job as a scholar is to try to understand that. And that even in his death, he was denied what were his, according to my understanding of Islam, what were his basic rights. and that was the funeral prayer and burial. I mean, the clergy denied it. I mean, his family did it. So, so then I kind of that chapter is kind of an exhortation to Muslim scholars and Muslim readers, especially in Pakistan, but elsewhere, too, is that denial is not going to help us. There are things happening that are seriously wrong, right, that have made so many of our young people more cruel. No, I'm not saying there is a causal connection between Islam and that kind of cruelty, but there is a causal connection between that and a simplistic understanding of the world, a binaristic understanding of the world, or relationships, gendered or others. So the reason I go to Mauduti and Iqbal is because, one, Iqbal is mobilized by everyone for whatever cause they want. And mostly he's mobilized for conservative causes. And the kind of Iqbal that they retrieve is the Iqbal who, if we took, if we cherry-picked the things that people use, he will be the strongest spokesperson of Taliban, right? And that, I think, is not what Iqbal was, because if you read the end of Name, um You know, he he openly talks about it's neither east nor west, but Iqbal is a colonial subject, so he posits his thoughts against the colonial system in which we exist. And my idea was that we need to read him in that context and not as transhistoric and, you know, timeless. Then Modudi, on the other hand, is one of the very few religious scholars who, in his works, tries to trace the fall of the Muslim empire, but also the fall of Muslim power in India. And he attributes it to, you know, the lack of religious vigor and even lack of religious understanding. Both of these people in their work want Muslims to go and retrieve a certain idealized past, which is connected to struggle, but also a more vigorous male subjectivity. And my point is that we cannot just build a modern Muslim society wherever it exists simply by retrieving the pure. We live in modern times. Yes, modernity, when it came to our lands, it was already contaminated because of colonialism. But we need to take from modernity what is liberating, what is life-giving, and incorporate it into our way of thinking the world or Living in the world, because if we don't do that, these forces, the strong forces that somehow want Islam to be something that is enforced from above and and through brute force, they will keep on winning. So that is what. And, you know, it was done with love. It wasn't a judgment. It was just an appeal to Muslim scholars and Muslim writers. And I talk about mohibba, right, which is the concept that was closest to the heart of the Prophet himself, on which Ibn Arabi has a book, right, instead of war and this masculine way of looking at the world, to to be soft, right, and to look at the world with love and then try to live in peace. So that's what I was trying to do in that chapter. And like all my efforts, I think it was a failed attempt, but that's okay.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think that's entirely true. Um, so, how do you suggest readers and academics approach this book?
1: Well, uh, the book is, uh, you know, uh, it's a deeply personal book. When when the reviews came back, you know, six reviewers reviewed this manuscript, and you know they had their objections, but and there's good suggestions. But one thing that they consistently wrote, all six of them, was that the book had a, a very obvious personal tone that they were not used to seeing in academic books. It, it had a voice. And I think I didn't intentionally do that. But the subject was so, you know, so deep, deeply part of my thought process that I decided not to restrain myself and and adopt a very scholarly voice so the way to read would be you know with knowing that it's an attempt you know it's not a summative work it's not an all exhaustive work it's an it's an attempt tentative as it might be a- and read it to see okay what can i get from here to build more of such thought right and then maybe you know um read it with a little bit of love, uh, because only then will people be able to be receptive to what I'm trying to say. Thank you so much, Dr. Raja. Okay. Thank you. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I will probably post a little script from it on my channel, but then let me know when you post it now.
0: Yes, definitely I will. Thank you. Okay. Yes. You were right. listening to Suj Raja, who talked about his book, Democratic Criticism, Politics of Incitement, and the Muslim Sacred. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Thank you.